0: This is Mission Island. My name is Walter, and this episode is called The Life and Times of Little Ukraine. If you walk around the East Village one day and stumble upon a couple of blue and yellow flags, you're most likely in Little Ukraine. But what is exactly Little Ukraine? I wanted to know more about the community's history and where it stands now. I only knew of Veselka and some of the churches. I conducted four oral histories with Ukrainians who have deep roots in the East Village in the fall of 2015. This community is also known as Ukrainian Village, but I believe more people call it Little Ukraine.
1: In all immigrations, the church indisputable is the center of the immigrants life because that's where they get their support that's where they uh, can practice their cherished traditions and and customs etc
0: natalie sonovetsky was born in the ukraine she came to the united states in 1949 and has been heavily involved in the little ukraine community for decades
1: and uh, right on on East Seventh Street, which is now uh, uh, Cafe de la Pace. maybe you you passed by, and that was a Ukrainian store called Arka, which still exists, but it, it's all the way down to First Street. But that was not only a shop, a store; it was kind of a meeting place of all the cultural and uh, community leaders. So if you wanted to know anything about anything and what's going on in the Ukrainian community, you would come to Arka and you would meet there Ponedelok and Kernitsky and Rudnitsky and all the rest of the community leaders and you, you had a nice chat and discussion, etc. So that, that life is gone.
0: That life is gone too for Svetlana Herbovsky. Her arca was Stage Diner.
2: My favorite spot Stage Diner. I mean if you're if you grew up in the East Village, you know.
0: Svetlana Herbovsky was also born in the Ukraine and came to New York in the mid-1990s. She was enrolled in St. George's Academy school and PLAST, the Ukrainian scouting organization as a young child. She spent her weekends growing up in the East Village. Now back to stage diner.
2: Um, you know the restaurant. It was this small, hole, literally a hole in the wall diner, and it was very. It was like an actual diner. It was just like went straight through, and you sat at the countertop, and that was it. Like it went straight down. It was very small, and they cooked home cooked, like it was home cooked stuff. Ukrainian meals, still good priced, like and you knew the people that worked behind the counter they knew you it was a very homey homey spot smack in the center of the east village like you could go down there sit at the diner have a bowl of soup and read your book have a cup of coffee and then leave like 20 minutes later god it was r.i.p stage because you will live in my heart forever but it closed down because last year i think it was in march um Do you remember when there was, like, a siphoning... I mean, a gas explosion at the Japanese restaurant?
0: Yeah.
2: In the East Village? So, basically, um, the diner was, like, caught siphoning gas because at the time... So, they basically got kicked out by the owner of the building. So, they're closed down now, but they were my favorite, favorite, favorite spot just because it was so homey, you know? It was good home-cooked meals at a good price and everyone knew each other when they went in there, and you kind of spoke to each other, you know? I don't know, it was a really cool place. You don't find places like that in the city anymore. At least that was was my spot in my neighborhood, you know? It's funny, because I didn't even grow up in the... I mean, my home is Brooklyn, that's where my, my home is, but I consider the East Village my second home, just because my entire life, I spent there every single weekend, you know? Going to Ukrainian school... I was there every single week, and every Saturday, my whole day was spent in that neighborhood. So I know it very well and consider it like my second home. It's weird. Even though I didn't physically grow up there.
0: I want to bring Miss Sonovetsky back because she had specific information of where Little Ukraine begins and where it ends.
1: It's the space between 14th Street and Houston and between Avenue B and 3rd Avenue. There you will find uh, Veselka, which is one of the best-known Ukrainian restaurants. You'll find the Ukrainian National Home. You will find uh, uh, the museum. You will find uh, St. George School. You will find St. George Church. Uh, You will find the Federal Credit Union, very well known. Uh, You will find the Shevchenko Society with all their events. Uh, It's uh, inevitably when you somehow end up in that space, you will meet something, uh, someone or something Ukrainian. Today, uh, uh, the statistics show that there are approximately between four and 5,000 Ukrainians living in the East Village. I am absolutely sure that it was, the number was much higher at that time. The Ukrainian village, or uh, little Ukraine, is still thriving, and the most uh, important institutions are still there today. Uh, even uh, at the museum, for example, it's it's a real gem. We have uh, the heritage school. We have Saint George Academy. Mm-hmm. We have a very vibrant um, uh, Stenica plus Stenica plus scouting movement. We have very vibrant uh, uh Union of uh, Ukrainian Youth uh, Organization. Uh, we have a, a well-known choir, Dumka Choir. We have even a theater now. We have a theater by Bernatsky that uh, that is staging amazingly uh, quality uh, plays.
0: Svetlana Herbovsky had a lot of similar answers when she talked about what makes up little Ukraine.
2: I the interesting thing about it is if you go there now, if you look on Google Maps, which is fascinating, you'll still see that it's titled as Little Ukraine on Google Maps, which I think is awesome. We're still holding down the fort, down in the East Village, but and you still have your staples in the East Village, like you have the Selka restaurant right in the corner of 9th and 2nd, and then right next to it you have the Plaza Dumivka, and then right next to that you have the Ukrainian um, you have the bar. Lismakitas, and then you have the Ukrainian social club right next door to it. So, like, literally that whole block is Ukrainian. And then, right across the street, you have Pachinsky's, and you you have the Ukrainian bank on the street, you have the church, you have the school. So, it's, like, a whole little circle of Ukrainian things. And then... But the interesting thing about it, and... is the fact that it used to be even more Ukrainian back in the day. Like, in the 70s or... Maybe not, maybe post-World War II and then up until the 70s, 80s, I'd say, it was very, very, very Ukrainian. But what happened was that the people who occupy these residencies, basically on Avenue A, B, C, I don't know about D if they went as far as that, but avenues 1 through C, I'd say, were predominantly Ukrainian. All those buildings, like when I, um for PLOS, when we used to go caroling, we would always hit up those buildings around the neighborhood. Um, but what happened basically was that as these, as the older generation began to dwindle, their, I mean, people in their family didn't move into those buildings. So they've kind of died off and those places have been taken up by other people basically. So they're not, the neighborhood in terms of the amount of Ukrainian people that live in the neighborhood are definitely dwindling, but it's still very, very, very Ukrainian. And you have that because of the fact that there's Ukrainian school, scouts, and then dancing all in the same vicinity with it, like right there. Every Saturday, like, you'll just see, and everyone knows you. When I was a kid, I would go to Plast, and I'd wear my scouting uniform on the weekends. And as a kid, I would just run into random stores on the block, you know, playing with my friends. And all everyone there, they, like the American workers there would know, like oh these are the Ukrainian scouts, blah blah. blah. Like they knew, they know who we are. We're definitely a very well known people in the neighborhood, and we've definitely taken our ground there. So it's pretty cool.
0: From the Golden Jubilee book commemorating organized Ukrainian American life in New York. The major wave of Ukrainian immigrants in the New York metropolitan area dates back to the second half of the 19th century. There were about 50 Ukrainian organizations in New York by 1915, and in November they joined in establishing the Ukrainian National Community, which united 44 societies and was chartered on March of 1916. One of the coolest Ukrainian events I heard of was from Jeff Kisselhoff's oral history interview with Myron Cermak done in the late 1980s. Mr. Cermak's radio ball happened in Webster Hall from 1924 to 1945. Three times a year, there was a big dance. There were stage shows based off of the Ukrainian radio show that aired through WAAT in the Bronx. There was an advertisement by Cermak If any single people wanted to come and get married in six months, thanks to the ball, he'll pay for the honeymoon. Veselka's nowadays gets a lot of attention. I was interested in how the restaurant grew to become an important hub for the little Ukraine community. Tom Burchard is the current owner of the restaurant and he did an oral history with the Greenwich Village Society for Historic Preservation back in February of last year. Veselka's first opened in 1954. A year later, the Ukrainian flag rose above City Hall for the first time in history. From Burchard, I would say as time gone on, we've become if anything more Ukrainian for a number of reasons. My son, who's half Ukrainian, is definitely patriotic, so he's pushed for that a little bit, and we have employees now who are patriotic. We've had kind of a resurgence in our Ukrainian identity, and again, that's reflected in what happened a few days ago when the news media came and sought us out as a cornerstone in the Ukrainian community, which is nice. I'm very happy to be seen that way. The news media I'm pretty sure Mr. Burchard mentions is a video from PBS NewsHour interviewing Little Ukraine institutions. Veselka, along with Serma Bookstore, and Razum, meaning Together in Ukraine. Razum is an organization that raises money for Ukrainian soldiers and relief. The video described Little Ukraine's reaction during the 2013 14 Euromaidan crisis. Here is Ms. Sonovetsky's opinion on how Little Ukraine reacted to the event.
1: That was a that was an amazing time. That was an amazing time. Uh, it was it was so uh, the Euromaidan, the the revolution of dignity was dominating everything, absolutely everything. you would you would see, first of all, you would see you would see so many more Ukrainians because they all had either, Signorotaskiaska, you know, a blue and gold um, little banner, or held a banner, or had a uh, shawl, or I mean, they were always East Village, and every every building that had Ukrainians in them had a Ukrainian uh, flag. So visually, visually, you could you could immediately tell how many Ukrainians were there, and then of course. Uh, Everybody was glued to the TV and computer uh, for, for days. I used to say, I don't cook anymore, I don't do anything anymore because we were actually glued to the computer and the, you know, the radio, which, which is um, live, uh, to find out what was going on, etc. And, and at that time, uh, I think, it's at that time that many of the fourth wave generation turned um, you know toward the community uh, activism uh, that was one of the catalysts that that kind of cemented uh, the activity of the older uh, our uh, immigration in theirs
0: fourth generation is the group of ukrainians who traveled to america after the ukraine declared its independence in 1991 Ms. Sonovetsky's wave when she arrived to America with her parents was a second wave which happened in between the two world wars. It makes sense there are generational and cultural differences. Perhaps her generation was more assimilated into American culture than the recent Ukrainian immigrants. However, Euromaidan brought everyone together, as sad and uplifting as the event was. On December 19th, I went to little Ukraine and I took some notes down of what I saw. Around 3.45 PM, a golden oval bust of Taras Shevchenko hangs above the 136 building, the same building with the nine Ukrainian flags. Written on a note taped on the wall reads, according to the Budapest agreement of 1994, the United States, Russia, and Great Britain guaranteed independence and integrity for voluntary giving up its nuclear weapons. Russia pulled out of it when Ukraine made a pro-European choice. As I'm reading this bike's pass behind me, three bikers. Now four. Will the U.S. stand by and ignore more Ukrainian victims? Also written on the mural, Glory to Ukraine! Glory to Ukraine's heroes! Put Putin on trial for war crimes in Ukraine! Two groups of people recognize each other and talk on the streets. I gave a man on the street a dollar. We said to each other, Merry Christmas. There are long blue and yellow candles on the ground in glass containers under the Maidan mural. Two are lit. Purple flowers with brown branches lay next to the candles. This mural has been up for a while. The Netflix film Winter on Fire documents the Euromaidan revolution, which I watched in the Plast building two months ago. There, I met Svitlana Herbovsky and Areta Boyko.
3: The Maidan happened in November, started in November. I know that there are photos of people and um, it's constantly being added to. I know that people are always um, like leaving things and I'm not sure who it is that does it, to be honest. Um, But I haven't seen that wall bare for a very long time. Um, the candles are lit I think like almost every night
0: That is Areta Boyko We'll hear more from her later I think in order to truly understand Little Ukraine, we need to talk about the recent history of the East Village Here is Miss Sonovetsky
1: In the late 60s and 70s uh East Village was not a desirable address. It was, you know, drugs and uh, pimps, etc., etc.
0: The displacement of the Puerto Rican community in the East Village prepared the ground for a successive period of attempted redevelopment. In the 1980s, developers hoped to gentrify the impoverished neighborhood Alphabet City. East Village was revitalized, but organized housing coalitions such as Cooper Square and good old Lower East Side prevented wholesale redevelopment of apartments that were owned by the city. There were massive demonstrations that kept the developers away. Graffiti tags popped up and they encouraged yuppies to be mugged. Notable events like the Tompkins Square Police Riot in 1988, Squatter Rebellions, Evictions of the homeless and the opposition to the middle-class aesthetics of gentrification all hit the East Village in the late 80s and the 90s. The residents wanted developers to understand that East Village was not a commodity, but a community. What does it mean to be local? That question was popping up in areas within Little Ukraine and within East Village. Christopher Mealy says it best here. Two local communities are coexisting, a single set of economic, cultural and social symbols like local politics, drug culture and community traditions forms the basis of two conflicting identities, one being immediate and real for the local residents and the other being distant and artificial for global consumption. 314 p.m. I'm at 9th Street and Wanamaker Place, which is 4th Street, and I'm looking northeast. Shevchenko Society is sandwiched in between two worn-out buildings. The one on the right has color flags hanging on the exterior walk-up staircase. This is 61 4th Avenue. Store for lease, it says on the window ground floor. Graffiti tags are also on the window in green, white, and red. Dark yellow, too. This building is shockingly still alive. A safe bet is that this building is at least 100 years old, maybe even from the 19th century. In the foreground on a traffic pole, a poster reads, $4 coffee leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to resentment. Resentment leads to hate. Hate leads to the dark side. On the right side of Fourth Avenue, 9th Street, is Astor Place. It's all glass, and I could see the clouds reflecting on the sleek tower. On the ground floor, a chopped will be open. It says on the facade, chopping this winter.
2: Gentrification is probably one of the one of the top issues affecting the city at the moment. It's actually crazy i mean everything is becoming so unaffordable in the city i myself am like having to worry about that because my parents are thinking of selling their place and it's like where are we gonna move to afterwards what is affordable you know like nothing in the city is affordable anymore and just the prices the wages stay the same yet the prices keep going up so it's just like what are you as a person supposed to do work five jobs and not have a life i don't know but in terms of that, in terms of the community being able to afford the rent, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope that they, like, in terms of, I mean, it depends on what you're speaking of. Like, if you're talking about a restaurant like Veselka, you know, that's right on the corner. It's a very popular restaurant in the city. It's open 24 hours. Um, and you'd think a place like that, because it's doing well, it's going to survive. It's going to be able to stay up with the pricing and afford afford everything and whatnot. But then how does a building like Place, the Domivka which is literally right next door, afford the same rent? You know, what a where I don't know how they pay their rent. I honestly don't know. I actually think it might be owned, the building might be owned by the owner of Aselka. I think I believe that might be the case.
0: Little Ukraine was in danger before because Cooper Union asked the city of New York to demap Shevchenko Place back in 2001 for their plans to build a park and pedestrian walkway. Demapping erases the street from existence in all official matters. That plan was unsuccessful. And while Cooper Union transformed into its current foundation building adjacent to St. George's Church, Shevchenko Place endured. It's 4.44 p.m., it's quiet on this side of 7th Street. I'm in front of St. George's Church. Across the street is Cooper Union. I walk down Shevchenko Place south. It's a little dark, my hands are cold. I see four clusters of shoes hanging from a wire that connects to a pole at Shevchenko Place in 7th to the middle of Shevchenko Place.
4: Well, Ukraine, yeah, more like little Beirut. When you go down to, like, Avenue A at that time, it it would look like a war zone. And it was dangerous walking around under the Dinkins administration, David Dinkins, first black mayor of New York, and maybe last.
0: That is Andre Kulik. He has been living in the East Village since 1971 and has been acting as a Ukrainian Orthodox priest since 1998. I met him at All Saints Ukrainian Orthodox Church. They have a weekly Sunday mass, which I attended last month, and ate with local Ukrainians afterwards in the basement. I have to say that their hospitality is truly incredible when you realize the existing neighborhood is turning more and more exclusive for an elite group of people. Here is a brief description of the origins of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church that formed in the East Village.
4: The, we, the church on 14th Street originally, which uh, had been founded as it was formerly a German Lutheran church, Uh, The church was founded in 1926 after the German, uh, this predominantly was a German area, but after the general Slocum disaster of 1904, slowly uh, the Germans moved to what is known as Yorkville, which is roughly from 79th Street, make it 72nd Street, to perhaps like 96th Street on the east side.
0: Why was the general Slocum disaster important to the formation of little Ukraine? Myron Sermak was the first owner of Surma Bookstore. He opened the store in 1918, and it still exists today, ran by his grandson. He mentioned in his oral history interview that a lawyer recommended to the Ukrainian community a church on 7th Street. It was originally a German church, but after the Slocum disaster, they went back to where they had already a more rooted enclave, which was uptown, 95th Street. The German community originally planned to open a church in the East Village for the growing German-American community, but because of the disaster, many moved away or remained uptown. There is a monument in Tompkins Square Park dedicated to the many souls who died that day.
4: Uh, There was a Ukrainian Orthodox Church already in uh, place. Uh, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church on 14th Street between 1st and 2nd Avenues is now called the Town and Village Synagogue. It was sold to a uh, Jewish congregation approximately 1959 or 1960, I'm not quite sure, having not been quite of age at the time the in exchange the ukrainian uh, congregation was given a synagogue on 82nd street uh, uh, between columbus and amsterdam that congregation wanted to move to the east side because the area between at that time where they were located was uninhabitable it was kind of like a war zone a drug war zone
0: the war zone mr kulik referred to was the 14th street location in the east village mr kulik talks about what the new ukrainian community is specifically the recent immigrants that arrived
4: uh, well yeah the new the new ukrainian community is not a community really mm. and these are people who get together once a week to get to church and then yeah and they'll they'll pray and they'll they'll take a nap during a sermon and, uh, but then they'll sit, go sit down, have coffee. Or, because they're in the neighborhood, they'll go visit their family and friends at St. George's because mm-hmm. everybody's interrelated. The actual center, the actual epicenter of the Ukrainian, uh, of the Ukrainian community in, in this area, the so-called, uh, uh, this area that's lower... The, called East Village, um, there was a, there's a Ukrainian National Home, uh, which is located on Second Avenue between 9th Street and St Mark's Place, which is equivalent to Eighth Street. And the uh, the other main epicenter, the main epicenter is would be the uh, would be Saint George's Ukrainian Catholic Church. Uh, they built a new church. Originally, they had it. They were inhabiting a an old courthouse, which is uh, right opposite McSorley's Ailed House, which uh, was founded in, f- in 1854, and uh, which, to which Abraham Lincoln dropped in between, uh, during a break in his address at Cooper Union, which I believe was in fi- uh, 1859 and uh, 1816.
0: We did this interview at Mr. Kulik's apartment in the East Village. When I was leaving, I noticed this sign on the main floor advertised to all tenants in the building. All capital letters. Please stop throwing cigarette butts out the window. Around 4.30 p.m., while in front of St. George's School, I look on the other side of the street. Fifteen people wait outside McSorley's. Singing and chanting goes on in the bar. Yellow-white lights adorn the nine windows on both left and right of McSorley's façade. It must have been a Christmas party. I could hear a group of people chanting, U.S.A. U.S.A. Then they start singing the birthday song. Surma is right next door. It's open. A limo passes. A temporary storage area is camped in front of Surma. It says it's for a restoration of Astor Place in Cooper Square. A triumph reconstruction. There are posters on this crate. A human figure with devil horns. Underneath the human icon says, In Decline. Myron Cermak told Jeff Kesselhoff that he kept his store opened 14 hours every day, seven days a week. Because people always liked to come and meet in the store. While the church is at the center of the immigrant's life, the cultural hospitable stores became new centers for the established immigrants and new immigrants. Perhaps, as important, these places became the center of New Yorkers' lives too. Non-Ukrainian lives. People traveling from the outer neighborhoods or boroughs just to shop at Surma or eat at Odessa.
3: I think there's a lot about it that people
0: don't know. That is Areta Boyko. She's a 23-year-old Ukrainian, originally from Connecticut, who is heavily involved in the Ukrainian village community.
3: The Ukrainian museum. There are little hidden gems like Stricha, which is the restaurant across the street from the church. They uh, make food and sell it for to raise money for the church. Um, and it's super delicious and I think everyone should go there Um, everyone knows Veselka but nobody knows that this whole building is essentially Ukrainian Um, this building that we're in right now is where the scouting happens every Saturday and every single Saturday there are about I'd say 100 to 200 people milling around in this building um, including parents of children, little scouts from ages six to 16, and then counselors my age and younger and older. So it's really people of all ages that come together every Saturday here. And that's just the people who are in the organization. There are so many more who just came from Ukraine and are living around here. I hear people speaking Ukrainian on the street and I've never seen them before on Saturdays, it is crazy Ukrainian. It is all, everybody on this corner is Ukrainian and you can't get by them, us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I visited Strycha last month. Besides the great food and the comfortable feeling you get in there, there was a TV in the corner talking about the group Anonymous declaring war on ISIS following the Paris attacks. Urban terror finds a way spilling into some of the most warm stores of little Ukraine. Ereda Boyko provided an oral history of the building where Veselka is located on the main floor.
3: In this building, about this building. So there are a lot of different organizations that kind of use this building. It's owned by Plast, the Ukrainian scouting organization. But I know another organization called Drazum that actually began its meetings here as well. And they have moved as of recently, I think, but... They are an organization that helps the soldiers in Ukraine in light of the current conflict um, and sends them relief efforts or helps them in any way that they can. Um, And there's also a choir, two choirs in the East Village, one called Praming, which meets on Wednesday nights that I'm actually a part of now, randomly. I'm not a good singer, (laughs) but (laughs) um, I just thought it would be cool to join, and they we i guess meet every other wednesday here um and then another choir called ukrainian village voices that i don't know too much about but um they used to meet here as well so it's just a very ukrainian hub this building is this corner always has a family or two standing on it talking about you know ukrainian school or How the summer is going to look with camps and where the kids are going to be going, you know, which dance group they're going to join or things like that, you know, are they going to be at Ukrainian school next week, things like that. So you always, always have this corner as kind of the central hub of the Ukrainian village, I would say. That's my impression of it. Um, And then the second one is kind of unorthodox, I guess, for most, but um, it's on Lafayette Street. Uh, studios on 440 Lafayette, Um, that's where the Ukrainian dance group has rehearsal
4: Mm.
3: and I just kind of grew up driving there from Connecticut you know late Saturday nights we had rehearsal from 6 to 9 so we would I would come up for those rehearsals and that's all I knew until I moved here so that was kind of like when I go in there I think of you know Ukrainian dancing um, and then we would always go to the Cloister Cafe, mm. which is also Ukrainian-owned. Um, and it's a really great spot. has an outdoor garden. Um, and we would always go there after Ukrainian dance rehearsal. So that's another spot that kind of, whenever I pass by it, which is a lot, um, I think about, you know, the owners. I know their kids and... Um, It's just very, I feel very integrated into those areas and those spots.
0: Little Ukraine has been in the East Village for over 100 years. Four generations, maybe five now, have contributed in some way to the built environment of places on 2nd Avenue and 7th Street. There are definitely more streets and places. Also, little Ukraine has many residents that moved elsewhere in the city. For example, Brooklyn and Brighton Beach. Some have moved upstate even, escaping the urban for vast landscapes. There are more important Ukrainian institutions that are uptown too. Ultimately, I believe because of the rich history in the East Village and the fact that some Ukrainian buildings are immediately next to something entirely different, for example, Yunikichi, right next to the Ukrainian-owned Cloister Café, which is less, a block away from 2nd Avenue and 9th Street, means there is something truly unique going on. The Slavic community, the Russians, the Polish, and the Ukrainians are a polyglot community. They are very mixed, but the East Village New York experience makes that polyglot identity even more fragmented, in a really good way. There's a lot of sadness from the Ukrainian experience, too, coming from the recent Euromaidan conflict to roughly 100 years ago with the Polish wars, and up to 1991 with Ukraine stepping out of the Soviet Union. Sadness is also a human condition. It happens in random ways, and sometimes the event is so severe that it's physically visible. The gas explosion in the East Village last March leaves an open lot fenced off on the corner of 7th Street and 2nd Avenue. I was there two days ago, I was looking at the site. One of the now visible windows of the apartment building sports an American flag and a pirate flag. The bricks show the true age of the building. They have a variation of colors too, from dark to light pink-red. If you look down on the traffic pole in the corner where the building collapsed, there is a Ukrainian coat of
4: arms. Uh, the Ukraine has, has people who can tough it out through anything, but we Americans are a little softer than, than they are.
0: Thank you to Areta Boyko, Andrei Kulik, Natalie Sonovetsky, and Svetlana Herbovsky for the oral history interviews. Thank you to the Shevchenko Scientific Society, New York Public Library, Greenwich Village Society for Historical Preservation, the Ukrainian Museum, Surma Bookstore and Music, All Saints Ukrainian Orthodox Church, Razum, Plast, St. George Academy, the New School List Library, and the Class Archive City for your help with this podcast. Thank you to the artists whose music I use from Free Music Archive. Rusty Sleeping Giant, David Siste, Paulo Pavan, Blue Dot Sessions, Muddy Wires, and Will Bangs. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great night.